Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today we're going to be talking about the draft results. And one of the things that I always make a focal point on whenever I'm doing podcasts or whatever the case may be, I always want to do the research. I always want to have a lot of notes here. This is like right off the cuff, like the draft just ended practically. And this is going to be a lot of raw reaction. So expect a more refined, you know, podcast surrounding the draft probably later on. But this is just the raw emotion because I feel like, you know, it, it does need to be documented at least a little bit. So the Thunder entered the draft with 6, 16, 18, 34, 36, and 55. Everyone has their eyes set on trading up into the draft, consolidating all these different draft picks, and, you know, getting getting some stars, right? And that's not obviously what happened here. I mean, having that largest uh, kind of room to play around with with six picks, you only end up selecting four of those. That's what I had predicted uh, back whenever I did my podcast on it, but I didn't expect it to be in the form uh, that it was, but to just lay things out on the table, obviously the first round, you got Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, and Evan Mobley going one, two, and three, and that was to be expected. Like, you know, the chances of the Thunder cracking into the top three were really just unlikely. Like, at number one, seemed like Cade Cunningham was off limits if the SGA trade deal was legitimate, and truthfully, I keep saying that I'm not going to say it's confirmed, but even if it was on the table, I don't think Detroit would have taken it. I think they made a really good option in keeping Kay Cunningham. I don't know if a package would have outclassed what they could have just had there. Six foot eight, demigod, really going to be amazing at basketball, regardless if he hits this ceiling. His floor is so high. But second pick, you got Jalen Green. And I was, you know, discussing with the people I was around. I was thinking, you know, if Evan Mobley goes two, which there was no indication that was going to happen, I would just kind of have that that mindset, you know, looking for the the big dream here. I was thinking the Rockets would take Evan Mobley, right? Tantalizing seven-footer, and you still got Jalen Green left at pick number three. And that's where things would have got interesting. But they kept it chalk, took Jalen Green, who I think is in the same class as Cade Cunningham. He's going to be... Clearly one of the best scorers in the NBA. The way he's able to shoot, finish, it's disgusting that he went to the Houston Rockets. It is what it is. I mean, man, anyone else, and I would, I'd be watching him, uh, and it'd be so, so enjoyable. It still is going to be that because he was one of my favorite players with the G League Ignite, but, oh, uh, God. Yeah, I mean, that pick... It hurt, but it was expected. And a trade with the Rockets seemed pretty unlikely because all the picks that are owed to them and whatnot. But third, you had the Cavs. And since it was chalk, the Evan Mobley selection was not a surprise. But a trade deal didn't seem like, you know, it was impossible to dream of. And the whole spiel of three plus Kevin Love made sense financially. Got to keep Colin Sexton, Darius Garland. They actually traded for Ricky Rubio earlier on in the day. So seemed like they might have been positioning themselves for some sort of move with a Sexton. Maybe if three was there, they would have had to make a uh, commitment right then and there. And the pressure would have really been on. That's where the Thunder could have struck. But didn't happen. 
took Evan Mobley, and I think they made the correct call in doing so, not trying to trade back because there is a significant gap. But the fun really started at pick number four with the Raptors and taking Scotty Barnes. And that was a pick that I don't think was insane. Obviously, when you break down who the top four prospects in the class were, seemed like Jalen Suggs had just had number four four lockdown and on my big board I had him at pick number seven I think there's not a ton of separation between a lot of those picks you know four to seven range there particularly five through seven for me but yeah they took Scotty Barnes he fits the mold of what they want like you cannot knock that at all they have Fred Van Vliet already and they could have added Suggs it would have made sense but also Scotty Barnes makes sense next to OG Pascal Chris Boucher everybody so they got a good deal But that's when the dominoes started to fall. And the only thing that, you know, would have made this interesting is what if the Orlando Magic wanted to stray away from the norm, which would have been taking Jalen Suggs? Because I think the top five had been sealed in terms of who would have been there, right? But Jalen Suggs, you know, does he fit the Orlando Magic? Not necessarily. Clearly, was he the best person available? Yeah, but... Look, you already have RJ Hampton, you have Cole Anthony, you have Markel Fultz. Those are three out of the four guards you're going to have there. And Jalen Suggs, he's a primary playmaker. He's not this off-the-ball scorer as opposed to the other three guys, particularly in Hampton and Anthony, where they get their best production with the basketball creating on their own. They're not off-ball threats. So I thought an off-ball threat was going to be there, or I thought a trade would have been Uh, in suit for the Thunder or really anybody just the highest bidder because they're at pick eight they didn't want to do that though and they took Jalen Suggs and there was no trade so you get to the Thunder pick and this was a pick where you know I think the consensus had been James Booknight he fits SGA he's that complimentary guy you can place in the backcourt But I've always seen it as best player available. I mean, I've been on the Kuminga train forever. I will say, though, as more and more people started getting on the boat for book night, you know, I might have started to imagine Presti might have been going for uh, positional needs. But I've seen Kuminga as the best guy at that selection. And with him still at the board at six, you know, that's who I thought would have been taken. And below him, you got James Booknight. Once you go past James Booknight, it's kind of murky for me. Like, I didn't have a set board outside of those two. And you guys can check on my website, BricktownBeat.com. Changed the domain name uh, a little bit ago. But you guys can check it out on there. Whenever I was breaking down this number six pick and what the options would have been, it was a three-man race. And it was between Scotty Barnes, Kuminga, and Booknight. No one else was there for me. And it's because I thought they were going to go positional need or they were going to go overall boomer bust. Who's the biggest? And Jonathan Kaminga is clearly that. They didn't want to do that, though, and they end up taking Josh Giddy. And my instant reaction was, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> like, that is a wild pick to be taking at number six, right? And I feel like Josh Giddy is the type of player where you know, he was rising up. He was one of the big uh, trend, trendy guys, I'd say, in the past week where the Warriors have been looking at him. The Grizzlies move up to 10, and it's believed he would be the pick there. But still, like, 
I feel like you might have been able to tap into the Kings at pick number nine or something and just make a deal work out. I, I didn't see Giddy going at number six. And yeah, when it happened, the instant reaction was, like I said, the what the hell moment. Like, is that really what we're doing here? You know, you had the value in Kuminga. You had the potential superstar with him and Book Knight as a guy who his floor really is like a six-man type of scorer and above you know he'd be that cj mccollum type or something of those sorts so yeah it seemed like those two options made a lot more sense but josh giddy gets just thrusted into the spotlight and i don't know if they didn't have notes uh this is something that i just picked out what they had for like the top 10 guys or whatever set amount of guys they had this little checklist right next to their names once they got drafted like athleticism outside scoring iq intangibles just those like weird fillers they didn't have one of those for josh giddy and they had those for a lot more people so i think even they were caught off guard by this pick they didn't have enough time to write it up they maybe even didn't even you know they could have had it all pre-written out didn't have one for giddy so they had that Mike Schmitz knew a lot about him. Everybody else, you know, they they knew about him as a great passer. Wasn't a lot of film. They kind of just moved right along to the Golden State Warriors and what they have going on. But, yeah, end up taking Giddy, and sounds like he's really excited to be here. It was, I think, with Nick Gallo where he sat down and stated that this was his top option. If it wasn't with Gallo, it was with somebody, but he wanted to be in OKC. Primary destination, his sister literally plays for ORU so it's like an hour 30 minute drive he had it really good there uh so that's good I mean the character's there he's the type of guy that you want in terms of a small market rebuild because you're gonna have the players and I don't know off the top of my head who would be kind of of this mindset but clearly there are people where they get drafted in the NBA they want to be in the Lakers you know, in a Lakers jersey, they want to be in the LA's, the New York's of the world. And that could actually be a problem, right? And doesn't look like that's going to be the case with Josh Giddy. He's not been <laughs> in the glitzy and glamorous places like some of these other people have. So we're good to go in terms of that. I think he's really geared up and he wants to be a Thunder player. That must have been a pretty big part of this process, I think. Just the character evaluation with him. But yeah, there's one thing I can state, just like I said, this was a best player available situation. This wasn't a pick based upon positional need because simply put, Josh Giddy was probably the most confusing person that you could have taken if you're riding along, you know, fitting alongside SGA or filling in positional needs. This is a 6'7", maybe even 6'8", point forward who isn't the greatest at shooting the basketball and it creates this sort of ripple effect when you go into the details of the guard positions because you check it out now you have Shea Gildas Alexander on the roster you have Teo Maladone still there Ty Jerome he's gonna be up and running and then you still you know have Lou Dort that's four names got Josh Giddy. And as I'm going to talk about, they got another guard in the first round. So you have six guards now, and how do you want to cut this? And the play styles clash. 
like I mentioned, and you can't just throw Lou Dort on the bench. He's a small forward. You want to play him as a starting small forward? Sure, go right ahead. What happens to Giddy? So, yeah, like, it's wacky. It's very wacky. But just evaluating Josh Giddy as a player, he is the best passer when you're looking above the point guard position because I think the top passer overall was probably Jalen Suggs the way he operates not just in a half court setting but also in the full court when you got fast breaks this guy is amazing at chucking passes and Kate Cunningham's really good too but Josh Kitty is in that kind of first tier and I said last year whenever I did this little draft reaction podcast I had Maladone in the same rank as LaMelo Ball and Killian Hayes in terms of passing. And Hayes, he's had flashes. LaMelo Ball is clearly a dominant passer. I think Teo is as well. But I'd say Josh Giddey's a top three passer in this draft class. And that'd be the main selling point with him. Because of the size that he does bring, that's what you're going for. And his passing is kind of all over the place. But I think it starts with the penetration when you look at what he does penetrating the basket, and it's not like he's super fast, so you're not going to see a ton of blow-bys, but once he breaks free, he's able to see every single option on the dribble drive, and the fact he's taller, he's going to see over his man, contributes a lot to some of his options, because let's say with a Shea or like a 6-1, point guard, they can't really throw overhead passes or just loft passes because you got a guy walling them off from the side. Josh Giddy, that's never really going to be a problem since he sees things. He's able to throw lasers in the cross-court uh, cross pass lasers when he's driving inside, and he can do it underhanded with either hand. He's am- ambidextrous, but the big deal with him is he's able to throw these passes overhanded a lot and I don't really see a ton of overhead passes at the NBA level maybe I'm just not paying much attention to what passes are used but I don't ever see overhead passes and Josh Giddy does those a lot and he does it a lot faster than you might imagine so it creates kind of some havoc on the defensive side of things and since he's driving in lasering those things off you kind of are tripped up. You're not going to see where the basketball is going. And with the expectation Oklahoma City just stacks the deck with shooters, that's going to amplify Josh Giddy a ton. And I think the pick and roll is the big deal with him. It's the big deal with SGA. That's his point of attack, really, on offense. And once he gets a high ball screen or whatnot, if he has the room, that passing is great, but he's also a dual threat because when it comes to driving inside, he's not catching bodies. He really can't even dunk that well, Um, but he's got a soft touch around the basket. Like that's the, that's the thing with him. So he can do it with either hand floaters and runners have been part of the the gig for him. So he's a good finisher. Uh, And, and that's kind of where it rests offensively. I do say though, the elite passing makes him kind of that point forward breed, and that's a pretty lucrative type. And when you look at the point forwards in this draft class, Josh Giddy was clearly the first one taken off the board. And once you look past Giddy, you look at Zaire Williams, who I'm shocked went at 10, but he happened to go there. He's that kind of point forward type. Uh, and then once you kind of scroll down just a little bit further, Jalen Johnson might have been 
the other guy at pick 20 with the Atlanta Hawks. No friends Beinberg, surprisingly, as a draft pick, but I'd say the three main point forwards probably rested in Giddy and Williams in addition to Jalen Johnson, of course. Giddy's that point uh, point guard, though. Clearly, he's been a guard his whole career. I think you got to put a wrench in that, though. He's got to play small forward given what is going on, and you'd have to think they talked to Josh Giddy about this. There's no way you don't talk about the elephant in the room, and Presti's probably going to get question about that because unlike prior drafts and it wouldn't matter because we didn't really trade for this pick but he can talk about anybody post-draft conference and that's pretty big for some of the later moves but yeah we're gonna hear a lot about giddy why they liked him and why they just don't care about big boards because josh giddy was a guy who was seen wavering around like 10 to 14 in most areas i'd say mock drafts didn't see him go until around that area but like I mentioned there was a lot of chatter late so maybe the Thunder did ponder the idea of trading back up to get him but it just never worked out and I think they tried with James Booknight too going at pick 11 maybe just no deals were there and they were stuck making some other moves later on to to play the long game here but yeah Josh Giddy is clearly that point forward that you try to play around Shea. And I mentioned it on Twitter, but I think there's just kind of this common archetype that Thunder keep hammering out just year after year. And it comes through those playmaking attributes like I've listed. When you label the top passers, Josh Giddy's up there. But SGA is one of the best passers out of the pick and roll situations. In the half court, I don't know, but I definitely say when he's rolling to the basket, he's crazy Teo Maladone when he was picked last season he was seen as a passer and that was about it like he was a combo guard who was elite at passing when it came to shooting the hope was he could be a catch and shoot player but you didn't really see it growing to the form it has now and that is kind of just a decent shooter like he's not you don't look at him and think he's crazy like Ty Drome is a really good three-point shooter Maladone's not on that level but regardless I still think you see him as kind of a, a steal. Like, the improvement there was wild. But anyways, you took Maladone based off the passing. And even Vit Krejci, you traded up, you gave a future second out on top of 53 or whatever it was to get him. Oversized 6'8 point guard who, what do you know, his biggest skill trait is being able to pass the basketball. And let's not forget the main guy, the Thunder had to spew out two first-round picks, and Ricky Rubio for last year, and Alexei Pokashevsky, a seven-footer with this same type of skill set. So that's what, five guys I've listed maybe? If I haven't talked about it, Ty Jerome is a really good half-court passer, and even Darius Baisley's this point forward. So there's clearly something that's going on here, and the common issue with a lot of them, especially Bays and now Giddy is the shot, but I guess you just question it later. They're trying to form just this mega passing team, and they weren't really that highly ranked in assists last year. I think they were bottom five in the league, and it didn't really feel like it. I guess it's because when SGA left, everything kind of just went to the side. You had the Charlie Brown Jr. starting games and stuff, but yeah, I guess that's the level they want to go towards. Just pass first offense, and just no centers 
Uh, Anyways, who needs them when you can have a ton of guards, small ball lineup, way of the future, uh, according to Sam Presti. But when you look at Giddy, he's great passing. You just got to look at everywhere else because, you know, he was playing very good competition at the NBL level when he was playing Joe Ingles and Matisse Thibel, example, for example, with Australia, with the national team. He looked solid, like he was playing very well against them, but how is he going to work on the day-to-day against other people on defense? And the problem is he doesn't have the shiftiest feet. In general, he's not a very fast guy. And he could get bullied right now off of screens. And that's bad. Like, when you talk about the worst kind of holes in a game, at least on the defensive side, for me, not being able to defend in the pick and roll might be one of my highest, you know, just like deal breakers right now. And Giddy, he might be able to go over that, but he just gets flat-footed, like he'll get scared. I've talked about it with Jalen Green, but he can actually recover because of the burst of speed he has. Like, he'll just get balled up, he'll stand still, gets walled off, then he'll just sprint right back and try to get into position. Josh Giddy's not like that, and luckily he's pretty lengthy, so he can still try to work his way back in. But yeah, that's the clear hole. And when you check out some of the other people that Thunder have taken, I'd say Terrence Ferguson was pretty bad uh, off of screens, and he actually came from Adelaide. So I'm not drawing comparisons. I, I definitely think Josh Giddy's better than Terrence Ferguson. But it's just one of those things. Like, you got to be good at pick and roll defense. And just on the ball, too, the lateral quickness might end up burning him. The big deal is the shot, though. And this is where the just weirdness of this lineup continues to get even more weird because he shot sub 30% from downtown with the 36ers last year, 29.3%, shooting 3.5 attempts a game. So that's a pretty hefty load. And then even at the free throw line, shot 69%. So he wasn't a scorer from distance, and he had those little globs. And a guy like Zaire Williams, who got taken later, people look at his stat line from Stanford. It was terrible, kind of similar to this one. But they give him a rain check because they say there is room to grow. And I guess the Thunder see that. If he is able to shoot the three ball, you're good. He's going to be a small forward who off the ball will be really proficient, but also on the ball has crazy IQ and he can make things happen. So a three-level scoring Josh Giddy is a home run at number six, but like there is a lot of room there that he can improve on when you look at like a Kuminga or whatnot that could have been, who, who could have been there, uh, was there, but they didn't opt to go that route anyways but yeah he's just that all-around person and that's the skills that the thunder are looking for you know elite passing as i've reiterated about 10 times that's great but they want to go in this mold to just the hybrids with unique body types who can do a bit bits and pieces of everything and i'd say he does that had 11 points seven rebounds and seven assists with Adelaide so he might be en route to get some triple doubles here and there especially when they are not expected to be very good um I don't know where they will be ranked for like preseason uh ranks but I'd assume it's in the very bottom one of the the bottom teams and that's because they're rebuilding that's fine but still so that's kind of my take on Josh Giddy right now just 
really at the time a weird one it's sunken in a bit and i've kind of grown into the idea but they got a lot of kind of kinks they need to work out in terms of the rotation but he does have some upside at the pick regardless and that's when you start moving down the board obviously like i said james book Knight was the person everybody thought was gonna be in a thunder jersey keeps sliding 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 had wagner go at pick number eight that was one that i mean everyone sees him going highly i had him barely uh in the first round in terms of my big board i think he was somewhere in like the late 20s for me and then mitchell kind of an awkward one of the kings but then book Knight goes at 11 kind of heartbreaker there but joshua primo goes at 12 and this is where you had williams of course but primo this is a second round guy getting taken 12th in the first round by the San Antonio Spurs who know what they're doing. So Primo's clearly going to be good for them. But that's when you start imagining, okay, who's going to be a pick 16? Who's going to be a pick 18? Sangoon, could he be here at this pick? Trey Murphy, could he be here at this pick? You just keep ticking and ticking on who would be available like even Keon Johnson too there's a lot of different high potential people that you could have gone at bat for and they had a ton of options because you had the Pacers pick of Chris Duarte Moses Moody is selected at 14 and the Wizards go ahead and take Corey Kispert so you have this board right now of Sangoon and everybody else but particularly Sangoon and Keon Johnson two guys I had in the top 10 on my board and this is where I say this is your shot at redemption you literally don't have a center you need a center Sangoon has top 10 potential if built right uh, and he has no one to compete with so he's gonna get minutes he's gonna get time and he's like 18 maybe barely 19 years old he's so young and one thing that I do that I encourage everybody to do is I don't listen or I don't have Twitter on during the draft. And I told everybody, you cannot have Twitter on because if you got Twitter on, you know Wojnarowski broke news on a Thunder deal 30 minutes before it happened. It completely kills the moment and you get that slight adrenaline rush you know, when you're looking through Twitter, but I got to see the bad boy live. I got to see Silver tatum talking about it first and yeah i mean the sangoon deal kind of hit me out of nowhere i thought the thunder were taking that pick i think right beforehand they announced that there was a trade done uh between the thunder and the houston rockets of course and what do you know they end up taking alprin sangoon so you know sangoon is clearly the boomer bust player when you look past kuminga sangoon is there he has elite footwork back to basket very solid but he still has a lot of different areas he has to work on i would have thought this is a culture that the thunder would have brought him into he would have been very efficient for them but they don't even get to that point of selecting a pick and this is where i get to the consolidation part like you have 16 you have 18 you have 34 you got 36 make a big play trade up into the lottery they couldn't do that okay, well, at 16, you're at the board, you need to make a pick here, and with the trade down, the Rockets get Sangoon, one of the biggest winners of the draft class, I'll probably talk about them today or in a later episode, but they smash this thing, clearly one of the best 
um, rebuilds, like in the shortest span of time. It's so wild what they've done here. But yeah, you move on. And with this one pick at number 16, people are saying it's good value because the Rockets gave out two first round picks in return for this. And that's kind of unheard of for mid first. Normally, you'll see some first round picks in in the mix there, but not two. We saw it with Pokashevsky two years ago, or one year ago. I'm losing my mind tonight, but you know, normally you don't see that kind of a jump give you that offer. And when you look at the original deal without protections, it looks like the Thunder just committed highway robbery because they got a Detroit Pistons pick and they got a Washington Wizards pick. And the Wizards, they just traded away Russell Westbrook for Kyle Kuzma and Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Finally, they pulled a trigger on a deal. It took them so long. But I guess they still want to have Bradley Beal. They want to pick up a DeMar DeRozan, I've heard, as like a sign-in trade. Whatever it is, they're still making just lateral moves here. I don't think they're going to be in contention anytime soon. Bradley Beal's not going to be like 28, 29 years old forever. I don't even know how old he is at this point. Picked in 2012, right? Uh, but yeah, like they're kind of stuck in no man's land in Detroit. They just came off the number one pick. I don't think they're going to be here again. I think Cade's going to elevate them. Keep Grant, keep Stort. Bay's going to be around. They have a really good core to go immediately. But the protection still put them under this safety blanket. So Detroit's pick starts out next season. It's 1 through 16 protected. It's not going to happen. They're going to keep that pick. Next year, in 2023, 1 through 18, I still don't see it. In 2024, it's 1 through 18 again. That's a maybe for me. I'd still say probably no. 2025 and 2026 gets interesting because... I think at that point they might be at kind of their peak in what would be like three, four years time. So one in one through 13 protection in 2025 seems like it could be possible. And 2026, one through 11 also seems that way. And 2027, one through nine, that should happen like a hundred percent. But if they don't see this pick, it's just second round picks going their way. And that sucks. And for the Wizards pick, it starts in 2023, 1 through 14. I don't know if the Thunder would get that one. 2024, 1 through 12, iffy. 2025, 1 through 10. And 2026, 1 through 8. And I think the Wizards are slowly declining. They're going to hit this point where they're looking to rebuild. They're going to go the Orlando Magic route and tear down. Uh, And if they don't, I mean, that is just miraculous that they continue to have Bradley Beal in good alms. He's amazing. The respect uh, has been granted from me. I think Bradley Beal is elite when it comes to that, given all the different co-stars and things he's had to put up with. But I think they're going to fall eventually. And I don't know if this is a, a guaranteed deal either, but you get two seconds if it doesn't work out. Regardless, I mean, these are two things you can bring into a war room and it gives you a beautiful looking number when you look at future draft picks, but these things are not going to be even in consideration for the next two to three years with either of them. So this is like essentially getting draft in stashes. Like you get two guys now with these picks, but you know, taking them, they're not going to be coming over to your roster for the next two or three years, maybe even longer. So they got to deal with that. 
And the one problem is you keep getting these picks. You're moving backwards. That's great. If I'm a GM, I'm calling Sam Presti, and I'm going to be the most flamboyant and just crazy GM of all time. If he doesn't call me again, so be it. But if he's looking to trade up with me, and I think everybody must have done this with him, it's not going to be as simple as 16 and 18 or two mid first good value for a pick that's not going to cut it when the thunder have way too many picks to use and they showed that tonight with how they drafted they already have too much stuff going on in the current roster they can't have all these picks going through they need to make deals and because of that that's great if you want to have a top pick in this draft class don't show me three, four picks, give me a blockbuster that I cannot refuse. And that could become one of the weak points for the Thunder. But they get this, Sengun's off the board, and Trey Murphy goes immediately after, which was a great pick for the Memphis Grizzlies. Or I guess it'd be the New Orleans Pelicans now. But yeah, they end up taking that at 17. And at 18, the Thunder's back up, and you have Keon Johnson, I would like him. You know, you have Isaiah Todd, a stretch four who fits what you need. They end up taking Trey Mann out of Florida, and I actually like this pick. Now, just like I was with pick number six, my immediate thoughts were, this pick, what are they doing? But I had him graded 24th on my big board. I mentioned Trey Mann on the podcast before as a guy that I would actually consider at 18. You know, he's been trending down a bit, but you still take him here. I like the pick now. And with guys like Keon and just a lot more people with the star potential, I could see being salty. I still was, but I'm over it. I actually really like the pick now. Um, But he is almost the same type of player SGA was, for example. And this is in terms of his play style. I'm not saying he's going to be the next SGA. That is a very big statement to utter out, but he's one of those high-frequency shot creators in this draft class. I think out of him, Bones Highland, and maybe a Cam Thomas, he actually fits the bill a little bit better than both of those two would because he's got this beautiful-looking step-back jumper, shot above 40% with Florida last season, and as a penetrator, he excels in the pick-and-roll and kicking out when he's driving into the basket, just like SGA. Half court wise, I don't love him as a passer, but slashing in, he's great. So he has a lot of parallels to Shea Godus Alexander already. But what kind of puts the bow on it for me is the progression that you saw from Trey Mann from his freshman season of college to his sophomore season. And when you look at this growth, it's kind of ridiculous because he started his freshman year really just as a bench filler, like nothing more, nothing less, played 29 games, started four of them. So probably played those out of necessity because of injuries or whatnot. But he only averaged 5.3 points, shot 27% from three. Like he was just a guy, you know, there's no real NBA aspirations, at least from what I have seen. Maybe people thought he was going to the NBA uh, last year, but With stats like that, it would have been insane if he did, to be honest with you. And he went from that, just this bench guy, to growing into the Gators' clear number one option, the best player, the highest scorer on the team. And he was averaging 16 points, 5.6 rebounds, and and 3.5 assists, shooting above 40% from three. So he was doing a little bit of everything. 
And I think that growth really means a lot, especially when you look at what the Thunder currently have here, where they're not looking to get the guys that will just immediately come and impact. They want to pick guys who will take probably a little bit to grow. But once grown, if their archetype fills out in the NBA level, they're going to be very scary players. I think Trey Mann is just like that because of the way he passes the ball, but particularly because of how he plays from downtown. And the big deal with him is he's not just this player who is good on the ball. Off the ball, he's a catch-and-shoot player, but he also is similar to SGA and how he plays on the ball. So you get a guy at 18 who he's not your book knight or whatnot, but he's still a very good three-level scorer with a better knack at passing than I would say James Booknight had. So if you were looking for the clone of SGA, which clearly you're not going to find, you know, anywhere really, you're not going to find anyone like exactly like SGA, but the closest thing in this class would have came from Trey Mann, in my opinion. And I think that's a really big compliment. And I think that idea of him being mentored by SGA, even though SGA is pretty damn young, does make a lot of sense. And you still have Kemba Walker here. I don't expect him to stay. Woj was talking about him actively being on the trade market throughout the free agency period. But I think regardless, Trey Mann being able to work with SGA is going to help him out so much. And I don't think SGA is going to be going anywhere, especially after this draft. So I think that is a good indicator. The rotations of SGA and Mann um, working together in the backcourt is is very fun because of how similar they truthfully are. So Mann, I've talked about him on multiple different occasions here, but just drilling it in, he is going to be that scorer for you. And defensively, I really don't look extensively into Trey Mann. I think he's a solid all-around defender, but they took this pick with just offense in mind. They want him to be an offensive juggernaut, and outside of him, I don't think there's anybody really in this area that I would have liked more. Cam Thomas, he's knocking on the door, of course. I think he was the best pure scorer remaining at this pick, but when you need to incorporate guard skills, Trey Mann actually overpowers him, I'd say. So this is a good pick, I don't know if I would have changed this, to be honest. There's obviously guys that I liked, and there were people I had above him on the board, but if you want to go by fit, he might have been the best guy that you could have had. It, definitely at the guard spots. Definitely uh, at the guard spots. But once you go down from Trey Man, you got this little resting period where you go from 18 to 34. Not much action at all, and you still had kind of these people sliding and right after at 19 of course Kai Jones was taken this was a guy who the Thunder in terms of fit would have had on their team at 16 or 18 this really athletic big man would have been the perfect co-star in a pick and roll situation and maybe even stretching it out but he ends up getting moved to the Charlotte Hornets who I thought they were going to take a pick 11 to be honest so they did a great job with book night and Kai Jones had Jalen Johnson, another high potential player who I thought the Thunder could have taken. And then Keon Johnson goes to the Clippers. And I don't know how they keep being able to make deals out of thin air when it comes to draft capital. 
but it is a genuine skill because they gave up every future asset to the Thunder, and they're still able to grind tooth and nail to get guys such as Keon Johnson, and you had more picks like Isaiah Jackson, Garuba, and Christopher both going to the Rockets, so they had a gigantic haul, but there wasn't a lot of stuff, really in my opinion, that sounded any alarms, and you had people like Quinn and Grimes climbing up, I didn't have him going in the first round, Dayron Sharp, he was on the fringe of being a first round guy for me, and Santi Aldama, who was great in the Patriot League, I think it was, that's where uh, Mike Muscala actually played, so he might have set some historical deal here by being a Patriot League guy getting selected in the first, but this was also another thing where it was wacky, and it meant that there was going to be a lot more people available in the start of the second round, and I was shocked at 31, and really starting at like 25, that the Thunder had not made any trade-ups to get from 34 and 36 to like 25 or 27 or something. Just get their guy. And they were really stingy about it. And at 31, the Bucks, who they didn't actually keep this pick, they traded them, uh, traded him to the Indiana Pacers. They ended up going after Isaiah Todd, who was my favorite person in this draft class. I think from just skills and a fit base, the Thunder would have loved to have this guy. 19-year-old stud going to Indiana. He will be doing some wonders for them. But at 32, you have the New York Knicks. And I guess the Thunder were scared because they end up moving 34 and 36 to move to 32. A literal jump of what? One selection, I guess two, if you want to count the Knicks pick itself. They were just scared, I guess, their guy was going to be off the table. And their guy was Jeremiah Robinson Earl out of Villanova. And when you look at Jeremiah Robinson Earl, this is a high floor player. I think when you look at second round prospects, Jeremiah Robinson Earl was a guy who clearly would have an impact in the NBA, but I don't look at him as a star. He had 16 points, about nine rebounds playing for Villanova last season, and he had a lot of double doubles. Big thing with him is just how polished he is. I don't really see a glaring hole in his game. He's a good passer. He can stretch the court out and the rebounding, obviously. At 6'9", he's kind of just like an Isaiah Roby, where he can play three through five, and there shouldn't be significant drop-offs. And he could be the starting center, for all we know. Like, if they don't get Thon Maker, if they don't get somebody, well, you better be uh, expecting to see JRE playing 30 minutes a game. And I think this is a great pick. I think when you look at second-rounders, he's one of the better ones that you could have found. But on my terms, the way I would have drafted... I think JT Thor would have been the pick here. I think he would have moved up for Isaiah Todd. You need to go after these teenage guys who have a lot of growth and may not be the safest floors because something that the Thunder currently have been struggling with, and it's something that impacted how they selected the Knight, I believe, 
is they have so many young guys, high floor picks who are very solid role players. They'll be playing on any team in the league, but they're not starting caliber and you get the roster so jammed. And even with some of these starting guys who are decent starters, but not great, you get this log jam to where you don't feel comfortable taking all these draft picks. You want to move out picks. And I understand 16 for two first round picks really far out is amazing, but these are protected picks, okay? And maybe both of them turn out to be lottery or really close to it. And that's a great deal. But you had Sangoon, you had all these people, could have got him right now. And Robinson Earl, he's 20, so I guess he's not uh, extremely old like he's not old at all right he's still 20 so he he can prosper but I don't see him as this dude who's either going to be flaked right out of the league in three years or he's going to be a star he's going to be playing like seven eight maybe even nine years in the NBA as a good to great rotational piece for you so clearly the Thunder had their eyes just focused on him from the get-go because if they believe that the trade with the Rockets was a good deal for them, I guess, you know, they must have thought this was okay value. If I was the New York Knicks and I saw this deal pop up, I would have been screaming at the top of my lungs because I don't get it. I feel like they could have gotten a trade-up way better than that. Like, they would have had even more of a safety blanket they played it so damn risky. Why do they think the Magic are going to take him? And if that's the case, if they believe that, how did they know that early? Like, how did they know right then and there, actually? Because they must have had Woj, you know, typing out to them they were planning on taking JRE because I would have just waited. I think, truthfully, when it comes down to it, they probably were dealing with this roster crunch and they have a board listed right there of who they're keeping next year something along those lines because this was really just what seems to be planned out I don't know if things were real sporadic maybe at 16 but this deal with the two seconds seemed like it was plotted all along that they were going to move these and JRE will be good he's going to be great for the summer league he's probably going to be a guy you can play immediately off the bench for the Thunder group But I don't know about the ceiling. I I thought JT Thor was the clear person. I like the pick, though. It's just whatever. There are a couple other people kind of um, scattered that would have been nice to take a look at. So they get JRE at 32, and you just wait, and you wait, and you wait. And this is where things for me kind of started to sink in. Like I said, with me getting optimistic about... Josh Giddy at six, not taking Kuminga, who I think is going to be a star in the league. Yeah, just stuff like that. Trey Man, that one wasn't hard to get through. And JRE, I knew he's going to be good, but I don't know about like star, star. So you wait. You got two minute draft picks, which is great. You got, you got to the point where the picks are literally showing during Kia commercials. So you don't have broadcasters talking. It's just whatever. And now you get to 55. And the wild part is there was still decent value. Before that, though, I mean, you look at what the Thunder have, all these future seconds, everything. They're not going to use them. Sharif Cooper was just on a slip and slide. He had all the water pumping out on that thing. No one wants to take him. I had him ranked 14th on my big board. Now I feel like an absolute idiot for doing so. 
but no one wanted to take a shot with him. And he ends up finding his way to 48 in the class, which is ridiculous. They could have moved up to get him. You saw deals in the past where like a Jordan Bell just gets bought off. You pay money to get somebody or like what the Thunder did with Credgey. Do the same deal. Give him a second, two seconds, three seconds. Move up. Get Sharif Cooper. This is a person with the highest potential remaining, and it's by a landslide. And even before him, you had Juhan Bagarin, who was playing for a team in Paris. This is an uber-athletic combo guard at 18 years old. I would have loved him. So you have two guards you don't take, and you don't need a guard. So... It's understandable, but you get to pick 55 and you take another guard. My God, man. And he's more of a wing. I'll I'll give him that. And I really like Aaron Wiggins. I think he is a good role player uh, type. I don't know about, like I said, star, starter. He's a good role player. I think he's just right up the Thunder's alley in terms of what they currently have on the roster. But he absolutely killed it in the G League Combine, crushed it in NBA Combine games, This guy was a warrior. He grinded tooth and nail to get to this point, and he was an undrafted. If he didn't come up clutch in the G League games, he wouldn't have made it to the next stage. If he didn't crush it in the NBA Combine, he wouldn't have been graded as draftable. And he was about to go undrafted. The Thunder do take him. This is a 6'7", shooting guard, small forward combo, who is kind of the poorer version of like a Kessler Edwards right now where he excels in two areas shooting the three ball and defending but Aaron Wiggins it's not like he is a drop dead score he's not going to be hitting every single three ball that he looks like that he looks at excuse me of course but he got extremely hot at the back end of the season for Maryland shot over 40 percent in his final 12 games with them and he was not missing like 18 points a game in that span too overall I think on the season he was shooting mid 30s from downtown I'll be searching up literally uh, as I am talking to you all right here but yeah it was a good like median shooter and from the foul line too it was kind of riding along those levels so he was a solid perimeter threat and he ended up putting that you know on display I have the numbers now but he was shooting 30 5.6% from distance this past season, shooting over five attempts a game. And then also on the flip side of things, from the foul line, he was shooting 77%, which is solid. 80s my go to, but uh, you know, I'll tack down a couple points since we got him at pick 55. Steals 1.1 a game and blocks 0.5. So he's good in either of those two areas. But this is a person that I see as the ideal OKC Blue Star. This is a person you plug in, and I don't even know who's going to be playing for the Blue next year. Josh Hall seems to be within the Thunder organization still. Jalen Horde is still around. Don't have a center. They didn't sign one, to my knowledge, in the undrafted pool. And they got Rob Edwards, who I've seen at UT with some of the other guys. You got Bit Credchy. But I think this is a person who fills the gashes of what Melvin Frazier Jr. was going to be last year. And Melvin Frazier Jr. kind of got pushed to the side. And I think it's due to Rob Edwards emerging, Jalen Horde, 
there was a lot of different breakthroughs on that blue team in a 15 game span and Melvin Frazier Jr. just got washed away. But when he was initially signed, this was a premier Exhibit 10 deal. This was a 3 and D wing who didn't get a fair shot in Orlando, was expected to be scoring like crazy with the Thunder, and he fit exactly what the Thunder have been looking for forever. Never got to play, but Aaron Wiggins comes in now, and I think that is kind of his calling card. It's exactly like what you see from Melvin Frazier, where he is a three-point shooter. That's what he is on offense. On defense, he can lock up multiple different positions. And he's 22, so he's not this young, like, Deshaun Nix type of guy who didn't even get drafted. He's not a Vrenz Blindberg. I guess Vrenz is 21, but they didn't want to go after a teenager here. They wanted to go after just a player that they liked in terms of skill sets. And if this was a contending Thunder team, they probably would have looked at Aaron Wiggins in the first round. They always do that. They always just go after whoever they feel good about in draft classes. They don't want to look at the the mocks to go after stuff here, but I think Aaron Wiggins was good value, and if they were a playoff team, this is a deal I would have been ecstatic about, and I like it. At 55, you really cannot go wrong. Like This is more about having first dibs on people on two-way contracts or whatever the case is. I don't really know what lengths the Thunder would go with a contract here. I would prefer to get a Kredgy or a Josh Hall or somebody over Aaron Wiggins on a full-scale deal. I think he's a two-way guy. If he's just playing on the blue, I'd be shocked. I think he'd have to have some type of uh, higher contract than just that in of its itself, but maybe. I mean, this was just one of those, like, Solid pickups, though, and I think that Aaron Wiggins is going to be a contributor for the OKC Blue immediately. He'll be a Josh Hall or Jalen Horde where he'd probably flip-flop around, and luckily, the way the Thunder is built, I mean, if he's on a two-way contract, he could just be playing with the Thunder the whole season, and it'd be fine, but I think due to the nature of development, Aaron Wiggins is going to be an OKC Blue player, and he's going to be one of the people that is going to be highlighted throughout the entire time now when you look past this day you got josh giddy you got trey man you got jre and you also have aaron wiggins this is something that would have been ridiculous to say 24 hours ago if someone told you this and this is something i heard from hunter by the way from bricktown breakdown so i'm not just gonna steal it i'm gonna quote the man of course but he was saying this like if you told someone this 24 hours ago what's the response gonna be and I don't think you would believe it as true. I mean, this was wild. I think if any moves were to be made, everybody expected the Thunder to be moving up, packaging draft picks, and we sure as hell didn't expect that package to be a second round deal where you move up two spots and you trade one of your first round picks out. So the Al Horford trade now nets you two first round deals. You saw this kind of same shenanigans I guess when you originally traded for Al Horford in the first place. So all these little threads of like Thunder deals you'll see on Reddit are going to look so much better now. They're the big winners here. Brandon Rabar of Daily Thunder is the biggest winner though. He's already become a meme with Josh Giddy, and now he gets to talk to him face to face for years. That's going to be a good relationship starter. So I think that 
no matter what he says, and I'd expect him, he's going to be going along with the joke, right? Like, he he's a smart man. He's going to be going along with it. But he's in a very good position right now. So congratulations to Brandon Rabar, man. <laughs> that little line of asking if his kid pooped, I went a long way. So yeah, I'd be really happy. And I think, you know, Giddy is a fun person to tack on. Those oversized, you know, playmaking types always seem to do it, at least, um, you know, watching highlight film. So him paired with Poku, Vit, whenever we get to see him. It'll be great. I mean, the roster's not done here. You still don't have a center. With these four draft picks, you still have Shvi to make a call on. These are like 15 or 16 guys that you have to worry about. And that's not even me taking into account what you could see with two ways. So it could be 17 or 18. And they're not going to go into the season without a center. That would be ridiculous by them. And I think Thon Maker, with him being an OKC, there has to be some sort of interest. He probably checks the boxes of what the Thunder want, and that's just a person who has the guard skills, who can handle. Thonmaker really hasn't done that to this point, but they'll take any option here. They'll exhaust it, and I think in the undrafted market, they will be active. The problem is, though, if Horde and Hall are the two ways, I don't know. The big great part about this whole deal though will be the exhibit tents because they always crush it when it comes to forming people in the summer league i don't know what it's going to be right now but the blue was so damn good and they have the same staff managing deals their summer league's going to be contending and i don't know if poku's playing maladone they might have like separate schedules or something of that sorts to where they have strict like plans on where they want them to be maybe vit he's expected to play they, they might dodge him due to medical purposes i think all the first round picks play regardless but they'll be stacking the deck and the fun's gonna start in a couple weeks so that's what you guys can look forward to uh, in the future though i'll probably be doing more draft grades maybe i'll inspect every one of the teams in this draft class i don't know yet i mean the draft it's finally over the day has ended I'm going to be writing a ton of content on BrickTownBeat.com. You guys can check that out. But yeah, that does it for draft day podcasting. This whole series of what has been months, I guess it's not officially coming to a close yet, but it's very weird. Now it's on to looking at 2022, guys. And I'm going to let Mike Schmitz look at that for the next like 200 days. I'll get into that once the offseason starts back, uh, back up. But I feel like I know a, a lot of guys. In this draft class and for our hall a lot of intriguing players think the fit with man is is very fun giddy he's a bit more of a wild card but that's the nature of this selection it'll be great to see them working at the summer league but other than that though guys that is going to wrap up today's episode i thank you all for listening and i'll talk to you all next time see ya